Hey everybody, welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here at Mariner's. And if you are thinking about possibly coming out to visit us sometime, we now have open services. Our 1045 service is inside this building here in California. So we don't have to wear a mask, and so you don't have to wear a mask if you are a little uncomfortable with coming indoors. Outside at 915, we have a great time out there as well. And so Please uh, come, join us, visit us, and uh, I, I know you'll be touched, and we'd love to, we would love to see you. Hey, I don't know about you. Did you grow up with a, a nickname? I know a lot of people that did. They had nicknames that they grew up with, and people just kind of called them that. In the Bible, there's a guy, and while he didn't have a nickname, there is a phrase he uses again and again and again as he refers to himself, and it almost becomes a nickname. He's a disciple. And he wrote one of the Gospels, and every time in that Gospel, in that story that he wrote about Jesus' life, every time he refers to himself, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Again and again and again, whenever he has to talk about himself, he would say, the disciple that Jesus loved. The disciple that Jesus loved. Now, I don't think it was ego, and I've heard some people say, yeah, he was just kind of boasting that he's thought he was loved more than anybody else. I think it's kind of the opposite. I think he knew that he was not better than others. In fact, he probably felt like he was one of the least of all the others. I think he thought like we should that he really didn't deserve the love of God. He really didn't deserve the love of Jesus. And I think that once he knew that Jesus loved him, he never got over the fact that he was loved by Jesus Christ. So every time he wrote about himself, it was always the disciple that Jesus loved, and you could put in parentheses, and I really can't believe he does. Years later, this same John, now an old man, he wrote a letter to Christians, and he's in his 90s now, and he writes this, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. But then, as if he still can't figure it all out and can't get his head wrapped around it, he says, and that is what we are. That's what I am. I'm still loved by God, and he's allowed me to be his child. John never got over the fact that he was loved by God. I don't know what your nickname is, um, but in these next few songs, we'd love it if you could kind of take the name that John gave himself upon yourself. As we sing and as you allow your heart to be lifted to God, you might think of yourself as being, I don't know, why would God even consider loving me? But we're going to be singing about the love of God, and in the middle of that, I hope you say, wow, wow. Just like John, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Be the one who Jesus loves. Hey, is it just me, or does it seem to you like people are getting just more and more uptight about stuff? You know, people are getting angry. I don't, I don't know, maybe it's the residue from COVID, or maybe it's politics, or maybe it's just the lingering ability we have to express our feelings on social media, too much caffeine, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but just like seems like people are arguing about everything, whether it's masks or no masks, or vaccine or no vaccine, 
or government, or immigration, or water, or critical race, or Mr. Potato Head, or who should be the next host on Jeopardy. It just seems like everybody argues, and they don't just argue a little, they argue big. And, and it seems like we disagree in ways that we just haven't been disagreeing before, and people get really, really worked up about this kind of stuff. And, and what, I guess, concerns us, or me, it's among people actually who talk about their life in Christ. People who say, I'm a follower of Christ, but they're getting so worked up about stuff that is happening around, kind of on an earthly plane. Here's our goal. God's peace, which goes beyond anything we can imagine, will guard your thoughts and emotions through Christ Jesus. I mean, that's the goal for God for our lives. Well, if that's the goal, how come we, we don't have that? I was talking to my son, who does a lot of hiking and, and climbing. He and his friends climbed up to the top of some peak someplace. And, and, and as they were going up, they, they came upon what's called a false summit. Now, those of you that have done a lot of hiking, you know what a false summit is. And a false summit, it actually, as you're going up towards it, it looks like it's the real summit because you can't see anything beyond it apart from the sky. And then once you get actually to the top of this, quote, false summit, you see that you have more to go. And so my, my son and his friend, they kept going on, and, and they went to the top, and the view was just great. They loved the view from the top. And as they were coming down, they met another group hiking up, and they got to the false summit, and the leader said, well, here we are. We, you know, we made it. We made it. We made it. Isn't this great? You know, just look at the view. And my son said, hey, you know, hey there, there, you know, there's more. And the guy said, no, 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 there's really not. And so my son and his friends left him alone to think that they had made it, and they just kind of you know, scratched their head, and, and, they, and they went on. And I think, when I think about everything that's kind of going on in, in life and in our world, I think of that. That sometimes those who are committed to Jesus Christ, they sometimes settle for a false summit in life. Kind of aim for a purpose that's too low or think that they've once they've accomplished or they've been able to achieve or once they've been able to finally have this particular thing happen the way they want, everything is, is as good as it's going to be when there's actually so much more. I mean, even if I win my argument, even if I get my way or my party is voted in or whatever, as a Christ follower, understand, I'm only on a false summit. I really haven't done anything. The Bible has a great verse, and, and this is for us, and this is where I kind of want us to camp for a few seconds. It says, live life then not as those who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. And God has not left us clueless on how to really know the meaning and the purpose of life. He's made it really, really clear. And that's what I want to take a few moments to talk about. And I want to give you actually what we sometimes refer to here as the five purposes for your life. And these stand out very strongly in the Bible. Five, you know, five, cinco, there's five of them. And I'm glad they don't deal with vaccinations or masks or politics or recalls. They deal with our lives on how we can get to the summit of the purpose that God has and called us to, to live on. First of all, number one, the first one is, I'm here to love God back. Now, God has shown his love to us in a hundred billion, trillion different ways. I mean, every breath is a gift. 
God has given us. Every day is a gift of love, every smile. I don't know, I, I just love the clouds this past week here on Half Moon Bay. I mean, the sky was just this really dark, deep blue, and the clouds were silvery and, and, and white and, and just in really cool formations. And then, and then we live on, in the beach, and, and the ocean was a darker blue, and, and it was just a spectacular look. And then uh, I always nudge my wife whenever we take a walk and say, you know, we live in a place where people come for vacation. I mean, we, we get to live here. I see and feel God's love with each breath I take. Each breath is a gift from God and his love for me. And then, and then, God takes me with all my crud and sin and stupid, and he, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, makes me right. He makes me righteous because of what he did for me. I mean, how deep the Father's love is for us. Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, so God, God just loved us in every single way you could imagine. Every single way you can imagine. Well, God made me to love him back. And that's the purpose of my life. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And whenever you express love back to God, there's a word for that. And we call that word worship. Worship is not just a worship service that you come to a worship service or what happens in a building or a parking lot if, if you worship there. Worship is whenever you declare your love back to God. That, that's what worship is. It's whenever you declare your love back to God. Well, so how, how, do, how do we do this thing if I'm made to worship, if that's one of my purposes in life? How do I worship? Jesus said this, those who worship God worship him in love in spirit and in truth. Two words he would say here. Spirit and truth. Now the spirit here, I think, means actually with my heart. Not out of duty, not out of habit, not out of a ritual. It, with the spirit of my breath of my life. It was kind of, I worship God really, really with who I am. We just finished Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know, you know, was last weekend. And, and what did your mom and dad want most besides paying them back for your college tuition? What did they want most? Well, not, oh, man, they didn't want to hear this or have you even think this. Oh, great, Father's Day's coming. I got to do something for my dad. Not, oh, shoot, I got to buy a card for my mom. I forgot. What every mom, what every dad wants more than anything else is your heart, your heart in it. Not, well, Mom, it's Mother's Day, and I suppose I should call and mouth the words, I love you. That's not what she wanted. Every parent wants your heart, your love. They want to know that you love them. They do. God says this, I don't want your sacrifices. I, I don't. I want your love. I want your love. I, I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. I want you to get to know me and love me. And that's why I'm not a ritual guy. And that's, not, and that's why we don't do a lot of ritual stuff around here. Because I've been in churches that do the ritual things. And, and I've watched the people doing the ritual things. And I watched myself or heard myself doing the ritual things. And it was just mouthing words and making, making noise. 
those of you that are kind of getting into the worship thing, you, you all of a sudden you realize, wow, when I'm truly expressing my love to God for his love for me, it's like, this is kind of what I'm made for. This is, this is right. First purpose is to love God, love him back all the time. Second purpose, I'm here to be part of God's family. I am here to be part of God's family. Um, I watch actually with interest the solutions that people are trying to come up with on why there are divisions and hatred and strife between people and between races and all that. And, and, and it doesn't just stop there, honestly. It's, it's never in the same races, believe it or not, even in, in unique races, individual races, there is hatred and strife. And even in the same race and nationality, there is division and hatred and strife. Why is it? Well, we're all tribal. I mean, all of us are just tribal people. And we're tribal because we're broken. We're, we're, we're broken people, and it's called sin, and it's, it's, it's in all of us. We're all tribal, and this whole system of trying to get along is broken because we're broken. We're just, we're just broken people. And this is one of the reasons that I lean towards the Bible on this, because the Bible is so clear on, on the brokenness of us. We're all tribal. It's broken because we're broken, all of us. And we all want it fixed. All, all of us do, or at least most of us do. And the problem is this, it's broken, but everyone that's trying to fix it is what? Is broken. You have now broken people trying to fix a broken thing. And in my experience, broken people don't fix broken things very well. A broken person trying to fix something broken will only come up with a broken solution. And that's why for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, no one's been able to really get it right. Broken people can't fix brokenness. We need somebody who's not broken to help us. We need somebody who's not broken to come fix us. And the only one that I know of that's not broken is God. God's not broken. And a better solution to this is, well, really, to have somebody who's not broken fix us so that we can start now fixing the issue. But in order to be unbroken, I have to almost be remade. If I was born broken, I have to be born again. And we need a plan to remake us into a new family, and God does that. God takes people that are reborn and puts us into new families. This isn't what the Bible says. God's unchanging plan from the very beginning of time has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what this thing called the church is all about. And I'm not talking about this thing that happens at, at, on Sundays at 1045, and I'm not talking about church clothes and hymn books and pews and all that kind of stuff. It's people who are in a new family. This is cool, and I, and I love this. And this is what Jesus does in order to fix the brokenness and in order to help bring us back together again to become part of his family. It says this, Jesus has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And he's talking between, between you and somebody else or your, quote, tribe and another tribe. It only happens through Jesus. And it says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which, he, by which he put to death their hostility. 
And then he says this, talking about you and another person in Christ. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people. The common ground we now have as followers of Christ are we are all what? We're followers of Christ, part of the same family. And so we can come into a, a room like this and a building like this, and some of you are going to be red people, and some of you are going to be blue people, and some of you are going to be maskers, and some of you are going to be no maskers, and vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. And, and y'all have your reasons. You know, everyone has their reasons. And for you, they're great, solid, good reasons, and good for you on that one. But the deepest bond we have is not what color we are. Not red, not blue, not anything apart from the deepest bond as followers of Christ is that we are reborn into the family of God. We're in Christ. And this is what Jesus came to do, to make us into a new humanity above and beyond this just political morass, the mess that's here. We're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, the word we would use is, and the purpose for your life is fellowship. Complete openness with somebody and others. And that's why the Bible says there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Number three, number three. Third purpose that you're, uh, you're here to become like Christ. We are all here to become like Jesus Christ. I was talking to someone about their child. And, and, and as I was talking about child, you know, I, 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 was, I, I talked about how much their kid resembled them in what they did. I mean, their actions and their personality. And, and I'm going on and on and on and on. And finally, they stopped me and said, you know, he's adopted. And yeah, I felt like an idiot, you know. But then they stopped me and said, no, don't feel stupid. Um, I think it's cool that my adopted son actually takes on my mannerisms and habits and even my personality. The Bible says this, for God chose you to become like his son. Now, I'm not talking about like Jesus where you can turn water into wine stuff, but we take on his habits and his character and his behavior and his thought patterns and his love, all that stuff. It says this in, in the book of Ephesians, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. And there's a word for it. And it's a word that we're going to be saying more and more around here. It's the word discipleship. And obviously it has the word disciple, and a disciple is a follower. And what we want to do is say, hey, all of us, what we are, bottom line is reborn into becoming followers of Jesus Christ and becoming like him. Right now, we, uh, uh, we're finishing up our first week at camp as I'm recording this, and, and as you're probably watching this on Sunday, we got a new bunch of kids going to be heading up to camp, and boy, each day, a little by little, those kids that are at camp, we want them to become more like Jesus Christ. I mean, we can try and resist it. We can try. But the movement in your life now, if you're reborn in Christ, is to start taking on the habits of your Father, and that would be God and Jesus. Okay, number four. Number four. Fourth purpose of my life, number four, is I am here to make a difference. I am here to make a difference in life. My extended Greek family, I'm, I'm half Greek, and we'd have family reunions and big park, and they'd all come, and they'd all bring food, and, 
and the big factory wedding stuff, and it's all true. It honestly is really, really, really true. And, 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 and I was complaining to my mom that when I, when I went, I said, Mom, when I go, no one wants to talk to me. You know, now I, I come, and no one, no one wants to talk to me. And, and this, I was an adult, and she said, well, they don't know what to say to you. And I said, well, what do you mean they don't know what to say? I mean, I'm like a human being. And they said, well, you're a pastor, and they don't know how to talk to you. And I'm thinking, whew, do I evolve into some weird creature, you know? And I'm afraid that they're going to bring out a big Bible and, you know, start slamming them and beating them to death and all that kind of stuff and trying to condemn them all to hell. But honestly, through history and through churches even do that as well, churches have given us this idea that some are called to do the Lord's work. You know, and the rest of you are nothing but just mere mortals, you know, out to do the piddly little stuff that you do. But me, you know, I, we, pastors, we're here to do, you know, God's work. And I hate that thinking. And I, I want to do everything I can here at Marriage to, to erase that distinction between those, quote, in ministry and those not, because we're all in ministry. All of us are called into ministry. We're all in ministry if we've accepted Christ. Every single one of us. And we're all called by God to have a significant spot. You, no matter who you are. Ephesians 2.10, the great verse on this one, for we're God's handiwork, each one of us, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the word here is called ministry. That's the word, ministry. And, and people will sometimes ask me, well, Paul, tell me, how did God call you into ministry? And my response is, he called me into ministry the same way he called you into ministry. Now, my role may be a pastor in a church. Your role may be a pastor to preschoolers in, a, in our kids' program. That may be your role. Or your role may be a pastor to middle school girls from broken homes. But you minister to them just as much as I do. That's ministry, and we're all called to it. All of us, every single one of us. And God has given you an ability to do stuff that I could never do. I would never be able to do, in fact, a lot of stuff I don't even want to do. You can do that, though, and you can do it well, and a life can be ministered to. Christine Kane, a great quote. She's founder of Propel Women and has done work in stopping human tra trafficking. She said something, and I love it. She said this, God's preparing you for something he's already prepared you for. Y you get that? God is preparing you right now for something that he's already prepared you for. Meaning God had this plan before the foundation of the world, and he's now preparing you for that. And it's so cool to see when people are all of a sudden involved in ministering to another person's life, and all of a sudden they realize, God can make a difference in this world. Who was the World Series MVP two years ago? The most valuable player of the World Series two years ago. Who knows? You know, who, who cares? I mean, it was a big deal to them, back then. And in eternity, God may say to them, hey, nice series, you know, great at bats, you did well. But he'll turn to you and say, but you, you invested in a life. You sacrificed your time and your energy and your Tuesday nights and can I show you who's in heaven because of you? Can I give you a little tour of those that are now in heaven because of you?
or you. You worked in a sound booth. And because of you, this person heard the story of Jesus for the very first time. And because of what you did, let me show you and introduce you to that person that you helped bring to Christ. We were created to serve and do ministry. Number five, the last one. The last one, number five. I'm here to tell others. And that's called evangelism, and that's the big word. And the term is getting a beating because of the stupid culture stuff. But all it means is telling other people about Jesus. The word literally means good news. And we're called to tell people the good news of Jesus. Jesus said this. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that just means we tell others what Jesus has done with our sins and how to give us a relationship with God. I, I'm, I'm just not sure that there is much worse than going to all that work of climbing up a mountain or a hill and doing all that work and stopping at what you think is the top and saying, well, that's it, you know, let's go back down again when there's more. And when the view up there is better, and that's where you were aiming for all along. I think the only one who can tell us where the mountaintop is would really be the one who made the mountain. And sometimes we ask God, hey God, you know, what's this all about, this thing called life? You know, is it about politics? Is it about social justice? Is it about stronger families? Is it about prayer in school? Is it about raising the minimum wage? And Jesus says, what I'm doing goes way beyond politics. And borders and parties and vaccines and masks. It has to do with Jesus and what he's done to broken lives in a broken world. And, and that's our purpose in life, is to be part of that. And we are part of this thing. So I think all of us should think again, God, why am I here? And thank you that you've allowed me to be here at this time, such a great time as this. And that you've given me the ability to grasp what the top of the hill, the mountain really is. And God, help me get there. And when I get there, I will see your calling for me in my life. Would you take a second and pray with me, please? Lord God, I just would pray that we would no longer settle for a false summit of life. Even though it may be comfortable at that summit, there's more to go, and the more to go, it just gets better. And I pray, Father, for every person that's listening. Should they want to know you, they would reach out and seek after you and know that you will love them and that you have loved them in Jesus Christ. And Father, this day, may we see people, may we love people, may we serve you, may we have an opportunity to tell somebody there's hope and life in Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much in Jesus' name.